I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, pest control, garden design, growing your own fruit and vegetables and container ideas. Plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Sean Thomas, Garden Visits Editor of the RHS Monthly Magazine for members, The Garden. Coming up in this edition... We visit an RHS plant day at the Cotswold Wildlife Park. How to choose and care for tender ornamental plants and tips to help them survive the tricky British climate. And as always, the latest news on RHS garden events across the UK. As many of you listening will know, the RHS organise a variety of garden activities, shows and events throughout the year. Many of these are held at our four RHS gardens, Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire, Rosemore in Devon, Hyde Hall in Essex and RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Other events are held at more unexpected venues that, although they're not primarily known for their plant displays, feature gardens that will surprise and fascinate garden lovers. One such recent event was an RHS plant day held at the Cotswold Wildlife Park in Oxfordshire. My name is Matthew Biggs and I'm here today at the wonderful plant day organised by the RHS. It's an opportunity for members of the public to come and talk plants, to look at plants, to bring their own plants to show off as well. And just uh, just have a lovely late summer, early autumn day in the garden. A really super opportunity to, to do it. Uh, and one of the things that is so impressive are the the plantings you you come to something that you think will be a a zoo park but it's almost like a a zoological garden an old-fashioned zoological garden where you have interesting plants unusual plants here very tastefully planted or planted in a context so that the animals feel at home so that they feel as though they're in their native habitat Uh, and the garden itself is really stylish surprisingly so i think visitors who come here people who i've spoken to are surprised at the quality of the the planting and the overall quality of the establishment it's um it's pure theater uh, when you walk through uh, each different area and you'll come around corners and there are surprises so it's a garden full of surprises very much uh, in the uh, in the style, I think, of a, a Victorian Edwardian garden. They would have approved of this zoology. You know, here is the wonder of nature. Here are the animals and the birds, the uh, fauna. And here, too, 
because there is that reminder that they are interrelated, whether it be habitats or food, whatever it may be. Here are some wonderful plants for you to enjoy. Hi, I'm Tim Miles. I'm the head gardener at the Cotswold Wildlife Park. Well, I think from a horticultural point of view, yeah. probably the most um, important thing is that we've got, we have got a big site and a lot of it's quite open. Uh, around us here um, we've got the rhinos on the front lawn over there but it's uh, a big expanse of space and quite a number of football pitches you could fit into that paddock um, but around the edges we've planted some ornamental grasses and perennials as well to create a bit of a savannah feel so that's kind of linking our planting in with the animals uh, which is something we do quite a lot here we're looking through the grasses now there and uh, we can see the the four rhinos behind and, and little astrid who's just over a year old which is not so little anymore um, but we've got um, big drifts of grasses, ornamental grasses here and then punctuated by perennials and at the moment the pokers there are, f- are flowering, the red hot pokers are uh, in their pomp there and uh, they sort of uh, look really smart through the board and really lift the whole thing So, and, and we've got a little breeze just coming up now which you can see the grasses swaying in that breeze and that's sort of really effective um, and we've so we've, we've got the grasses right around the perimeter so from, from a garden design point of view landscape design, the grasses are all linking in together on, on that bigger scale we have uh, 250 species of animals at the park and one of our roles horticulturally here is to try and create interesting backdrops and um, uh, enclosures and environments for the animals and uh, that's not an easy task and it's virtually impossible to find plants from the animals actual habitat so we simulate environments and habitats with plants that are will grow in this country uh, or, and will be uh, acceptable in a particular enclosure with a certain animal and the key thing that it's not going to poison that animal that's a that never goes down too well with the keepers um, so yeah those are those are important criteria and so the, I suppose the, the, the areas we look at are savannah with, uh, with the rhinos and the zebras and so on, the, the grassy areas, uh, the ornamental grasses lend themselves to that excellently. And then the meerkats was a great excuse to create a desert bed. So um, I was uh, you know, keen to be able to, to reflect that as well around the meerkats. It's, of course, one of our most popular exhibits. And then there's plenty of opportunity for jungly effects as well. Um, and so... Uh, that's what we're able to do with the planting material. And then we, we link the animal areas to the ornamental areas because here at the park we've not got a garden and an animal collection. The whole thing's intermingled together, so it all hopefully flows together uh, visually and atmospherically as you walk through it. So today there will be an extra talk by Mr Fergus Garrett, which is at 1.45 between the Manor House and the Rhino Paddock on the south lawn by the Lily Pond. 145 today. One of the highlights of a popular RHS plant day at the Cotswold Wildlife Park was the presence of experts from the RHS Tender Ornamental Plant Committee. They were available to talk in depth with visitors about their gardening successes and problems. Various experts also held masterclasses and drop-in plant clinics and examined plant samples and photos that visitors had brought along. I'm Jessica Roberts, I look after the Tender Ornamental Plant Committee and Fruit, Veg and Herb and Woody Plant Committee. I'm Mike Pitcher and I look after the herbaceous, the bulb and the joint rock garden plant committees. Plant committees, there's seven of them all together. Uh, We've got the Woody Plant Committee, Tender Ornamental Plant Committee, a joint rock garden plant committee, bulb committee, orchid committee, 
fruit, veg and herb. That's it. That's it, yep. <laughs> and uh, so there's seven of them. They cover all the main plant areas, and, of course, they all overlap. There's 24 full members on each committee, and then also friends and others as well. And the plant committees have quite a wide remit. They are ultimately responsible for the trials that happen and uh, awarding the Award for Garden Merit. Uh, they also um, recommend people for awards. They're often judges for shows. They look at new plants. They um, do talks. They're just experts who really love talking about plants and talking to people about plants. My name's John Wheatley. I'm a dahlia grower, a horticulturalist and uh, chairman of Britain in Bloom Southwest and very involved with lots of things going on with the RHS. We're at Cotswold Wildlife Park. And we're doing an RHS Open Day with lectures, uh, plant displays, giving advice, showing people a whole range of wonderful things that the RHS does. A tender plant is something that has to be housed for part of the year. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? Because what you can house and what you can grow in Torbay is quite different to what you can grow in an element, say, in the north of Scotland. And the other big factor is that microclimates come in. Now in my career in horticulture, some plants that were tender at the beginning of my very long career are no longer tender by virtue of the global warming. And that's been one of the things that I've noticed throughout the career, that you could grow plants in Torbay that you couldn't grow in Bristol but now you can grow them in Bristol and they're moving marching up across the country Um, tender ornamental plants come into that Mediterranean band there are two bands of Mediterranean climate as you know in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere southern hemisphere goes through Chile and western Australia and New Zealand northern hemisphere goes through California around that band right through to what we would traditionally know as the Mediterranean and there's some lovely plants here that represent those bands. Now, most herbaceous plants are hardy outside during the winter, and that makes it easier, but they tend to die down, as you know, uh, to ground level. And here at the Cotswold Wildlife Park, we've got some wonderful examples of those plants from people like Derry Watkins, we've got Pheasant Acre Dahlias, we've got the British Fuchsia Society, we've got RHS experts giving advice as to details of pests and diseases, any issues associated with naming of plants. In fact, I got caught out this morning on one, and we're still trying to find out what it is. I'm Greg Redwood from Kew Gardens. I'm in charge of the glass houses, but I'm also chair of the Tender Ornamental Plant Committee for the RHS. And we're here, along with our fellow committee members from the Herbaceous Committee, talking to the public about uh, plants, particularly tender ones and bedding and other interesting bits and pieces. We've had some odd pests and disease uh, examples brought in, um, a few plants that people want us to identify, um, lots of questions about how people can extend the flowering season and what they can do to avoid using too much water, those kinds of things. So it's been very useful. And we've learned a few things ourselves as well, which is no bad thing. Someone's brought in a fern, um, a hardy fern that grows outside in the UK and it's got a strange uh, grub living in the stem that we can't decide what it is so some of us are taking it back to the places where we different places we work and see if we can identify it Uh, it looks vaguely like a very small vine weevil but it uh, the adult which no one's ever seen buries uh, punches its uh, a hole in the side of the fern stem and lays its eggs inside and then the, the fern leaf wilts but none of us have seen it before so it's a new one on us Hi, I'm Jeff Oak. I'm a member of the RHS Tender Plant Committee and also chairman of the British Fuchsia Society. Well, fuchsias are a very versatile plant. 
You can grow them in the garden. They're hardy in the UK, more or less across the country. They'll take frost down to about minus 10, 12. And there's a colour and size of flower to suit everybody, from the very vivid oranges to the very normal reds and purples. Uh, foliage, again, comes in anything from the ordinary green through some of the species to lilac, um, sorry, laurel-type leaf. And then you've got the variegated leaf. And there's, they can come in reds and yellows, greens and golds, pure gold, pure yellow. There's something for everybody. Well, if you're a new grower and you're looking for something to put in the garden, then again, you're, the hardy varieties, uh, once they're planted, they'll shoot from the bottom each year and they'll, they'll shape themselves. Where if you're growing them in a pot for a show purpose, then we tend to pinch them back after every two, two or three pairs of leaves to make them tight. And that by stopping them, we increase the number of side branches, we increase the number of flowers. But every time we stop a plant, if it's a single, we put it back by 50 to 60 days before it will flower. Hi, I'm Derry Watkins from Special Plants. And I specialise in anything beautiful and weird and wonderful that most people, other people don't grow. Uh, this is an incredibly wonderful day at Cotswold Wildlife Park where uh, the RHS has brought together all kinds of experts, particularly from their trials committees, to come and talk about their specialties and the plants they like best. So there's displays of dahlias and fuchsias and my display of salvias because that's what I'm crazy about. I absolutely love salvias. Well, there's all sorts of salvias. There's tender salvias, hardy salvias, herbaceous salvias, shrubby salvias, I mean, you name it. And there's every color, size, tiny salvias, huge salvias, all kinds of different ones. So there's a salvia for every occasion, I'm sure. But my favorite sal salvias are really the hardy, shrubby salvias. So they, get, they can get quite big, and as long as they have sun and drainage, they are perfectly hardy for me. The trick with them is to plant them in the spring rather than the autumn, if at all possible, so they have a whole season to get their roots down and get established before they have to face the winter. And then the second trick is to uh, always prune them hard back in the spring, never in the autumn. So you leave all those brown, sticky, dead growth on over the winter, and in the spring, as soon as you see a sign of new young growth, you cut back to that, the lowest bit of young green growth you can find. So you're basically cutting off everything that grew last year. And that renews the plant so it will be healthier and flower better and it will be more compact and much less likely to flop open. Uh, and my, the oldest one here, it, I have a salvia that just occurred as an accidental seedling on my nursery called Stormy Pink, which is this lovely soft, creamy pink with a grey calyx, which is why I called it Stormy Pink. And uh, my oldest plant of that is the original plant, the first ever seedling on the nursery. It's 15 years old. It's been in the garden for 15 years. And it has tree trunks on it. I mean, they're like bonsais. It's ridiculous. They're, it's extraordinary, this plant. The, the trunks must be two inches in diameter. And uh, I cut viciously hard back to these little trunks every year. It looks awful when I finish cutting it back, but within uh, six weeks, it's in flower again. And it looks spectacular all summer. The great thing about shrubby salvias is they bloom. Most of them will bloom from June through November. Uh, most of them have fairly small flowers. They're very easy going. Uh, and they just bloom and bloom and bloom and bloom in every possible color. You know, blue, pink, orange, yellow, red, white. You name it. You've got a salvia that way. 
There are some fabulous tender salvias, of course, which I do absolutely dearly adore, much bigger often, bigger flowers, bigger leaves, bigger plants. Salvia confertiflora is one of my favorites, a very tall one which blooms late with these extraordinary long, thin, dark, dark red uh, velvety stems with brilliant tiny orange flowers all the way up the stem. So you get these like wands, really spectacular. There's more information about all the plants discussed today on the advice pages of the RHS website rhs.org.uk slash advice. You can also find our plant selector tool at rhs.org.uk slash plant selector, an invaluable help in finding the perfect plants for your garden, whether it's big or small. You can find our information about upcoming RHS events around the country on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk slash gardens and click on what's on. Here you can also buy tickets and find details of discounts and extra benefits for RHS members. Some of the highlights coming up soon include Wild About Gardens Week until 21st of September. Check out events around the UK at our dedicated website, wildaboutgardensweek.org.uk, plus win prizes in our competition and get wildlife advice. See Autumn Harvests, Exhibits and get expert advice at the Malvern Autumn Show, 27th to the 28th of September. Enjoy summer harvests, great local food and drink, exciting competitions and more. TV gardener Monty Don will be heading up the celebrity guest list. rhs.org.uk slash shows. Art and craft lovers are spoilt for choice at the RHS Gardens this late summer and autumn. Whether your passion is jewellery, textiles, fine art or sculpture, you're sure to find something special at one of our quality exhibitions and fairs throughout September at all four RHS Gardens. Get set for a taste of autumn coming to all four RHS Gardens soon and packed with displays, expert advice, delicious food and drink and seasonal activities. Our Taste of Autumn festivals are the ultimate autumn day out. Go to rhs.org.uk slash taste of autumn. I'm Sean Thomas and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Now let's find out what jobs some of the expert speakers at the RHS Plant Day are tackling in their gardens this month. Well, this time of year, there's plenty to do in the garden. It's really make the most of the uh, lovely sunshine and still days that still may come to us before autumn sets in. Lots of weeding at the moment in the garden, lots of weeding and deadheading. Also, it's a good time to look at your herbaceous border uh, and mark up plants that need dividing. If the herbaceous border has got quite congested after several years of growth then once uh, the rain comes and softens the ground it'll be a great opportunity to lift and divide uh, in autumn so it's a, a really useful thing to do it's a, t- a time also that you can then weed through the border you can discard some of the plants that you don't like you're regenerating plants by division so you're d- dividing them and, and saving the the vigorous pieces from the outside of the plant. So uh, really regenerating herbaceous borders is an excellent thing to be doing at this time of year. Also, you need to be thinking about um, it'll be the time of year when you want to bring in your tender plants before the first frosts. You can uh, still, maybe if it's around about September, still time to take semi-ripe cuttings to uh, have some more for, for next year to make the most of that but really bringing in your uh, tender plants and tidying, lots of tidying to keep uh, your pots weed-free, your borders weed-free, 
uh, and to make sure that the the garden is ready for the autumn. And then, uh, before the first leaves fall, uh, cover your pond. And you can use the netting that you use for your raspberries. Uh, that's perfectly suitable for most ponds. Uh, but get in there before they start to fall. And then it's just a matter of uh, leaf raking. You can either uh, leaf rake, which is excellent exercise, or um, on the lawn, you can use a rotary mower. Wait till a still dry day, run the rotary mower over the lawn, and you would be chopping up the uh, leaves at the same time. And the, additional, uh, the addition of nitrogen will help them to break down quickly. So it's a time of year for tidying and for checking up on your tender plants. Fergus Garrett, head gardener, Great Dixter. Well, I think a very important job at this time of year is getting rid of unwanted browns so that the summer colour and the autumn colour sparkles through. So obviously you want to keep a few seed heads uh, for that winter effect. But do you need 40 teasels in your border or is just one enough? And if you peel away all those other teasels and just leave the one significant one for your winter effect, then you have a brighter effect in your garden, which keeps things fresh as you go into the autumn. My name is Nicholas Ray. I'm curator at the University of Bristol Botanic Garden. It's uh, middle of September. Uh, it's a great time to enjoy the garden, um, particularly if the weather's nice. There's lots of flower colour in the garden, lots of architectural interest. Uh, it's a great time of year for collecting seed. Um, and if you're collecting seed for, uh, for use next year, for it to dry, it has to be collected in either envelopes or paper bags. Never, don't put dry seed um, uh, in a polythene bag. It'll sweat and go mouldy. You can put fruits in there, wet fruits, for a short time until you uh, uh, squash the flesh off them. But it's a great time for collecting seed for next year. And also... Now, September, going into October, November, right the way up into December, it's a lovely time to actually plant. The soil is warm, really warm. We've had some moisture recently. Planting new shrubs, new perennials in the garden, they will root into that soil really quickly, far quicker than planting them in the spring. Because in the spring, we get the very rapid rise in air temperature, but the soil temperature takes a long time to catch up. So now it's, it's actually at its warmest, and that's a great and it's moist. It's a great time to plant. You can find more tips and advice and video guides to seasonal tasks on the gardening pages of the RHS website. That's rhs.org.uk/advice. And finally, our selection of plants of the month, our regular pick of the RHS AGM plant lists. The AGM is the RHS Award of Garden Merit. Plants that display this award have been assessed in a number of categories by our experts and are recommended as being the best for all-round performance. When you're trying to select the best plant from the hundreds that are available in garden centres and nurseries, look out for the special AGM trophy logo on the plant label. It's an invaluable tool for gardeners. Here's Fergus Garrett with his choices. Well, one of the AGM plants is Verbascum that occurred at Great Dixter, and it was a hybrid between um, Verbascum chaxii and Verbascum speciosum, and it turned out to be a perennial plant that comes back year after year, relatively short-lived. I mean, it, it, you need to replace it after three, four years, but it's got the most incredible spikes and a multitude of spikes of flowers, and it's called Verbascum Christo's Yellow Lightning. 
Um, we take root cuttings of it at Dixter and we submitted plants to the RHS for Bascom trials. And it, I think it was the first plant to get an award of garden merit and got a unanimous award of garden merit. And it was just an incredible showstopper right at the front of the border with this sort of multiple spikes of bright yellow. So that's a real favourite. Another um, really good plant that is an AGM plant is Helenium sahin's early flower. And again, if you compare it with other Heleniums, maybe the, the colour isn't as deep as some of those other ones, but it just, it's a robust plant, grows really well, and it flowers and flowers and flowers and flowers. So it's longer flowering than any other Helenium that I know, and they're outstanding. Another really good AGM plant is Aquilegia chrysantha. This is a pale yellow Aquilegia. Chrysantha yellow star is the one that I grow. Pale yellow with long spurs. I think they're pollinated by moths and it comes from sort of wet valleys in in the desert in the USA. But it has a prolific amount of flowers. They stand really well above the foliage. It's a tall plant and it goes on and on and on. And it's probably got another two weeks extra flowering time to than any other Aquilegia that I know. Very good garden plant, comes back year after year as well, super. So that's a beautifully shaped flowers and pale lemon yellow Aquilegia chrysantha yellow star. You can find details of all the AGM plants, including the latest lists on the RHS website, rhs.org.uk slash AGM plants. So that's all for this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Sean Thomas, and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how 
with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.